you very much. Take your seats. You know, it's amazing what you tell your wife to get a bit of peace and quiet on a Saturday. <laughs> I actually had um, my sinuses, which I've never had any issue with my sinuses, but they kind of like flared up. And it was like someone had driven a pile into my head. It was really uh, pretty uncomfortable. But honestly, by just the, the core team just praying for me and some really strong medication, uh, I feel absolutely brilliant today. It's a really incredible. It's a real, I call that healing. And I think that just as I speak, as just a man who's just been healed, that if you're here and you're feeling a little bit grim, a little bit you know, on the edge, then I am just in belief that just over the course of this message, over the course of this service, that you will live, leave here changed, you will leave here healed, you will leave here a new creation. So I'm just believing that. Now, one of the other side effects of being a bit bunged up is that I can't really hear very well. So I'm going to need you guys to be loud this morning, okay? I'm going to need you guys to really give it, give it something. Is that it? Sorry, shout, shout. Did they say anything? I didn't hear anything. No. You're going to try that again. Are you guys with me? Are you guys with me? Awesome. Good. Now we can start. <laughs> well, I'm going to continue the Always series. Uh, we had a prequel to the series. Then we had an intro to the series. Then we had Kevin last week, uh, last week in the evening service who gave an absolutely life-changing message about uh, provision. And I encourage you, if you missed out on that message, you have got to go and listen to it because I know that it completely shifted my entire mindset with how God provides for us and what he does for us. So I, it was just an awesome message. And I believe this is such a key series for our church because what this Always series is doing is it's, it's putting down, it's, it's uh, explaining the building blocks in which our faith and on which our church are built. And if you don't know what you're built on, then when rough times come, when the storm hits, then you don't really know what your foundation is. And so it's so important to understand what you are here for, what God built the church for, and what its purpose is, and where he stands in it all. Amen? Well, I believe that uh, God has, he has, he has entrusted the church with certain authorities. There's certain things, uh, certain areas where God has asked the church to, to stand in authority. However, there are also other areas where he hasn't asked us to. Uh, there are, and, and in some of those areas are areas in where the church has actually sort of claimed authority. It said, well, we're, we're going to take authority here. I, I, I know that I'm guilty of it myself in that when I'm sometimes praying, I claim authority over this. But authority isn't like a serve-yourself buffet. It's not a buffet. Authority is something that God ordains, something that God gives us. See, Jesus was given all authority. It says in Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. So, so Jesus has all authority. All authority is Jesus's. But that, we sometimes make this leap that... Because Jesus has been given all authority, that, that as the church, we also have been given all authority. That's not actually the case. And we need to understand where those lines of authority are. Because when you operate in those areas of authority, there is tremendous grace. There is awesome grace in the areas in which God has given us authority. However, when we try to claim and, and operate in those areas where God hasn't given us authority, then it's only frustration that can be found. Only frustration. And so it's so important that we understand what God has called us to do and how we go about doing it. When I was, uh, when I was 15, I uh, was a part of the, the Boy Scouts, uh, which was, uh, I'd been in it since I was a beaver. My son's just started going to beavers, actually. So I was there for about, I guess I'd been in it for like 10 years. 
And I'd got to that point when I was sort of 15 years old. I was sort of about to sort of age out of the whole thing. And I got given this invitation uh, from the Venture Scouts, uh, which was the sort of the, the group up from the Scouts. It's a bit like the Scouts, but sort of a more debauched version of it. And uh, they invited me to go along to this, uh, what would you call it? It was a, it was a city exchange. Uh, I, I grew up in Dundee, and the scout group had been invited by Würzburg, Germany, to do an exchange. So we were going to go over, because Dundee was apparently twinned with Würzburg, Germany. And so they were going to go and do this trip. About 20 of us were going to go from Dundee, get in a minibus, and drive to Würzburg, uh, Germany, which is not really... I think it took like two days to drive it. And so I was asked to go and do it. But I was going to be the youngest. Uh, but I just thought this was, sounded like an awesome opportunity, something just to kind of broaden my horizons, go on a, a holiday. It was the first kind of holiday I would have ever gone on uh, without my parents. And so I thought, this will be awesome. So I, I got in the minibus, and, and we went down to Würzburg. And, and most of the people had been pulled together from different scout troops from all over the city, and we didn't really know each other. But by the end of the holiday, and, and during the course of the holiday, we all made great friends. It was such an awesome holiday. I remember just thinking it was one of the best times I'd ever had while I was, uh, while I was growing up. Uh, one of the things that we had to do, one of our kind of responsibilities, was we had to sort of share Scottish culture while we were, while we were down there. It was this sort of exchange. Uh, they were having uh, so, sort of festivals, a big summer festival going on, so we would go in and we would partake. It was a bit like, I mean, it was a bit like, if, in terms of the way it was sort of structured, a bit like a missions trip, but without helping anybody. Uh, <laughs> that was sort of what it was like. We would go places, and there'd be people there, and they would feed us sausage, and, uh, and, and it was tremendous. But uh, we had to do this one event for the, the city of Würzburg, and it was we were going to put on Highland Games. We were going to put on a Highland Games, and there was a big park in the center of Würzburg, and we were going to just set up all the things like tug-of-war and you know, the, tossing the caber and all these sorts of things. So we had brought all of this equipment with us. We'd taken a trailer on the back of our minibus. Uh, and we had all of our equipment stored uh, at our base. And we had this big sort of field that we were sort of kitting out. And we were, so there were these two sort of places. There was a place you know, several miles away where we were getting stuff ready to take there. And then there was this sort of base that we were getting prepared. And so I had been entrusted. And I don't know why I had been entrusted, because I was the youngest and probably stupidest person there. But uh, I was entrusted with sort of the task of being the kind of interface. So I was given the walkie-talkie. I was given a walkie-talkie, and I was supposed to co- uh, communicate with all the people who were at the base. And I was standing in the field with uh, some of my uh, fellow venture scouts getting the place ready. But they were just messing about, because there was no leaders there. And because I'd been given the walkie-talkie, and I was the authority there, nobody respected me. And uh, they were just sort of messing about, and we weren't getting anything done. And I'm getting, hearing on the walkie-talkie that, oh, you know, stuff coming, and we need to be prepared. So I'm trying to tell these guys, look, you know, we need to get ready. We need to get sorted. I'm giving them it all in the ear, and, and they were getting a bit ticked off with me. And uh, we just went on for about an hour, and it was pretty hot, and they just really wanted to hang about and just sit around and lay about. And I was sort of, no, no, we need to go, we need to go. It's taking it very seriously, very, very seriously. So they did, they did this to me. <laughs> it turns out, it turns out that the last people you want to take off is people who spent 10 years learning to tie knots. <laughs> And they were tight. I remember. I remember even today. It was like, 
you know, I was 15, that's like 18 years ago, and uh, they were tight knots. They, they put marks on my body. And uh, as you can see, they stuck my little walkie-talkie just there, just, just to let me know what they thought about it. <laughs> and I'm not smiling. You should notice that too. I wasn't very impressed. <laughs> but it served me right, because the reality was, I had assumed a level of authority, a level of responsibility, that really I hadn't been gifted. I had no right to be telling people what to do. I was really just there to let them know what was coming. And yet, I had sort of taken this sort of stand that it was my responsibility, this whole thing. I was going to project manage the whole thing. And, and you know what? What happened was frustration. There was no grace over it. There was no understanding of it. There was no cooperation. It was just like trying to fight against the tide. You can take it down there. <laughs> and you see... Man's, man with having authority over other men is sort of a delicate balance. It's quite a delicate balance uh, because deep down, everybody kind of wants to do their own thing. Is that fair? Deep down, you kind of want to just get on with it. We're all, you know, there's a degree of lawlessness within us all. Establishments uh, seek to kind of constrain people and, uh, and make them fit their ideal. And that's, you know, fair enough. If you're a you go to work, you know, a person employs you to do a task, to fill a role, to fill a position. They're not paying you to come there and, and to sort of just be yourself. And I mean, they want you to be yourself, but they also want you to be the person that they're paying you to be. And, you know, in, in society, there's various establishments where they, where they look and they sort of seem to try and sort of constrain and order your steps so that you will fit their ideal. And the state... It has been given the sort of the entrusted the responsibility to govern. That's that's what the state's purpose is. That's why we have government. That's why God gave us government because He wants us to govern. But I think the church has often sought to do the same. It has often sought to be governments. Often sought to uh, constrain people in similar ways. Uh, the problem is that over time, people have realised that they are not beholden to the church in the same way that they're beholden. To state, because in state there are immediate consequences for, you know, not fulfilling whatever you've been asked to do. Whereas in church, they're they're much more eternal ones, and it's 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 not really in church. If you're always saying what you shouldn't be doing, and the consequences are this, then you completely miss out the message of grace. You miss out, and you take someone further and further and further away from Jesus. All you do is put more and more blocks in the way of them actually understanding what their call from God is upon their life. See. The church, through many, you know, over the centuries, has, has sort of promoted rules that were designed to kind of coerce people into complying with whatever, you know, sort of ideology they wanted them to, to do, to, to try and govern them, to try and constrain them into fulfilling a, an ideal that is not how God intended the church to fulfill its authority. See, Paul used the example of marriage to elaborate on the structure of authority given to church. See, the structure outlines the pattern by which God has established spiritual authority. And it says in Ephesians 5, verse 22 uh, to 25, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives, uh, so let the wives 
be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And if we skip ahead to verse 28, it says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And see, what Paul is doing in that, in that verse is he's sort of outlining the sophisticated and the close relationship that a man and a wife have together when they're husband and wife. And he's using that as an example of how Christ relates to the church. See, a husband is granted authority over his wife, but it is not a master-slave relationship. That is not what God determined when he gave authority. It's not a master-slave. You know, if I tell Laura to go and tidy my side of the room, there's no grace in that, let me tell you. I can guarantee you that that will receive no... There is no... There is not that it's not going to be received in anything in a good way. Because, because I have not got a master-slave relationship with my wife. I have uh, an authority, but it is an authority that I exercise in a sacrificial and loving way. It is a sacrificial and loving way. And that is the same way that Christ exercises his, thought, uh, his authority over the church and how the church exercises its authority to the world. It's, it's not... It's not in any way the idea of issuing commands. It's the idea of serving. It's an authority that is worked out, that is exercised, that is performed through acts of service. That is how the authority which God has given to the church is to be outworked. And so when we understand this, it kind of completely changes our approach and and makes us think very differently about how we would uh, go about relating to the world around us. I think most of us would probably agree that, that going and standing on corners and, and, and telling everyone who walks past all of the rules that they're breaking and all the reasons they're going to hell is not going to change anybody's life. It isn't going to change anyone's life. However, I think we all know that when you serve someone, when you show someone love, that you get an influence upon that person's life. You get a voice within that person's life. And that is how the authority of the church operates. So the question I really want to ask this morning is if that is... Uh, if that is the manner in which the church's authority is outworked, what are the works themselves? What is the authority? What is, what is, how do we outwork this authority? Well, Jesus' authority was all-encompassing, and its functions were distributed to all sorts of uh, establishments, uh, nations. You'll see at times there are certain nations that take uh, a lead on the world stage. There are institutions that direct the, a flow of influence over society. But The church has been reserved a purpose that only it can fulfill. And I want to read, uh, continue on actually from Matthew 28. If I I start again from Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, it says, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has uh, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We have been empowered to make disciples. That is an authority which God has given the church. And it says, because he's talking about his authority, he says, I have authority over all things, and I am commanding you, I am giving you this, uh, this edict, this, this right, this authority to go and make disciples. It says, Surely I am with you always. 
Surely I am with you always. I am with you always because this is the area of authority that as a church, as a people, and when I say church, I mean us as a people, that is what God has called us to do. And that is the area in which he wants us to operate. We can try and operate in the field of government and the field of this and the field of that, but this is the field, this is the core mandate of our faith. All the elements, all of the elements of discipleship are predicated upon grace. If you look at the final work of salvation, it comes through receiving God. You know, we, can, we, we get around people and, and we can explain. I might give a message and you might hear worship. But, but ultimately, that, that connection a person has comes by them receiving God. Them getting to that edge and God just sort of meeting them at that point. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. It is, it is a grace. Everything of our, uh, of our own discipleship, of our own salvation, comes through grace. Uh, teaching. Uh, the understanding of teaching is only complete through the revelation from the Spirit. It, it says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12 to 13, What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So that we may understand that God has freely given us uh, that uh, this is that we speak not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. When you receive, when you when you when you taught something. Uh, of, of a spiritual nature. It is a revelation on the inside. It's not knowledge. It's not like understanding that, that you come from reading a book. It's something that connects with your spirit. It's something where, where God has taken a principle, a principle that he has ordained for all mankind to live by, and you don't just understand it and take it in and take it out whenever you want, but it becomes a part of your spirit. It becomes something that your spirit can access at any time. And that is why, once again, the discipleship is something that is completely based upon grace. And then correction is the final example I'll use. Correction is only received through an appreciation of a covenanted relationship with Jesus. You know, if you're, if you're being corrected, um, I, I mean, I correct my children all the time and... Uh, but it has to come from a place of love. It has to come from a place that I'm a father and that, that they see that it is a direction, it is a correction that is for their benefit and that, that there is love that under, underpins everything within that. You know, it's a covenanted relationship. When we are receiving correction, receiving direction and guidance, whether it come from a pastor or a, or a small group leader, but we understand that that is a voice, not a human voice, but it is a voice that comes from God and that we understand that it is... It is based on our relationship with him that those changes might take place in Matthew 18 verse 15 it says if a fellow disciple sins go and point out their fault just between the two of you if they listen to you you have won them over you've won them over you've won them over you've brought them back they have been delivered they've been uh, received back into the flock see the entire process of discipleship only reaches fulfillment through God's influence but to get to that point, we are tasked with creating that climate of faith and expectancy. It's, it's, that is what it's about. That is, that is our authority, is that we have a voice to create that climate. I want to tell you a story uh, about a girl I met when I was at university. Don't worry, it's not that kind of story. Uh, <laughs> when I was in second year, uh, I, 
she lived in one of the dormitories at the, the university, and I think there was like six of us that lived in this dorm. And it, it was full of Erasmus students, uh, students from all over Europe. And uh, I think there was a couple of us, that, I think there was about three of us that were from Scotland, um, and then the rest, uh, the rest of them were from all over. And there was this one girl called Viviana Vumbaka. <laughs> Tremendous name, Viviana Vumbaka. Even, even now I still love that name. And she was from Rome, and she was a small, uh, small lady uh, with, with just big hair, big sort of curly hair that just sort of went out like that, and these you know, big spectacles. And uh, she did, uh, she, she was there for a year to study civil engineering. I did mechanical engineering, so I, I kind of saw her in quite a few of the classes. And she was a really nice person, just really, uh, just really normal, very real. And, uh, but when she came over, when she first moved to Scotland, she spoke virtually no English. She was really, it was really ropey. Now, I say this with respect to the fact that I speak no Italian, so it's pretty hard for me to judge. But, but she was like right on the limit. She could just get by. And she was sort of sitting in classes. She would go to the classes. She would sit in her flat. She would go into tutorials. And nobody makes any allowance for the fact that you can't speak English in, in, in Britain. You just have to speak English. And if you don't, you better learn quick. Uh, and that was, that was the way it was. Uh, and... and just over the course of nine months, she just picked up the, the language. Uh, I don't know how much in the case of like actually just sitting and studying it was, but I know she was just engulfed. She was enveloped by this English language, and she just, she just picked it up. And over the co- course of nine months, she, she learned it fluently. She was totally fluent. And I remember chatting her to, uh, just when she was going back uh, at the end of the year, and she said, yeah, I realized that I was getting it when I started to solve problems in my head in English. And, and, I used, and, I, and, and then I would go to sleep, and I would dream, and my dreams would be in English. And it's like, I, I knew at that point that I must be really understanding English. I must be really learning it. So you have to understand, she was living in a climate, living in an environment where she was we were all authorized to speak English around her. I mean, there was the, we were completely prompted to... Uh, we would have done her absolutely no favors to have accommodated her difficulties. If we had tried to speak to her in garbled Italian, it would have not helped her get to a place where she got to a place where she could think in English and she could dream in English, where she could think in another language, where she could learn to solve problems in another language, where she could dream in another language. Do you get where I'm going on this? You see, discipleship is where you take someone and you surround them with these words. You surround them with a language to a point where their mind changes, the language changes, and they begin to think in a spiritual language. And they begin to dream along the lines that God has laid them out to dream. They begin to pick up the destiny and the plans upon God that God has put upon on their lives. You do not get there if you are not speaking that language to them. Amen? Amen. That is... See, being a disciple is, is learning a new language. That is, that is what it is. It's, it's, and you cannot learn a new language if no one speaks it to you. It's, at least it must be very, very difficult to sit away reading books and trying to pick up that new language. And there are people who sit away reading books and try to pick up try to learn how to be a disciple, but you can't just learn to be a disciple. You have to be around disciples. You have to be uh, surrounded by them and, and just receive that input to hear the voice. I, I know when I got saved that I, I, I had grown up in church, but I'd fallen away from it. 
And I just knew at this point that I needed to turn back. And I, I made that decision. I remember for about a month sitting at home, not really knowing what to do. But it was the point at which I was invited along to a small group. And I just started hanging out in that small group. And we ended up just hanging out all the time. And it changed my life because it wasn't that... It was the fact that I was surrounded by these people who had these mindsets that were, were what my mind wanted to be, what I wanted it to be. And I, and I picked it up by this sort of source of osmosis. I just sort of, I just sponged up all of this understanding and, and it reconnected everything that I'd been taught as a child and, and it all made sense as an adult. And see, Jesus is the one who supplies that grace when, when we are making disciples. But we need to be the ones who say the words. We have been granted authority to make disciples. We have been granted authority to make disciples. In in 1 Peter 2 verse 21, it says, To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. A disciple needs an example. A disciple needs an example. They need, because they're on this journey of transformation, this transformation of their life and their their minds and their thoughts and their dreams and and the patterns of their everyday life. Their responses are changing from like the ones where it's just a fleshly response to one that is in tune with with God's heart. And, And they need an example. They need someone who will raise a standard for them. And that's where the church See, the church reflects the standard, reflects the standard of God's righteousness. It reflects the standard, and it is not a standard that imposes judgment, but it's one that invites reflection. It's one that invites reflection. Our standard, our church, does not stand there judging the world around it. We are there to reflect God's righteousness. We are there to reflect his goodness, to reflect his heart, to reflect his love, a sacrificial love, to serve a generation, to serve a world that so desperately needs it. It doesn't need another person telling them not doing good enough. They don't need another person. They don't need another body issuing them commands. They need another body that says that we know God and God can take away all the things that you regret and all the things that, 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 that hold you back and give you something far greater than yourself, to be a part of something far greater than yourself. We are authorized to fulfill that role. In Matthew 5 verse 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, we have been given the authority to be bearers of his standard, that we would project the light of his righteousness to the world, to to be a conscience to our society, to be a reminder of God's word, not to stand in judgment, but rather as a beacon to steer mankind from the destruction and towards God. That is what the church has been called to do. We are to be distinct from the patterns of the world. We are we are called to be a standard, to present a standard. I've got time for one more story. Uh, a few years ago, I remember going back to a church where I was, uh, I was familiar with growing up. And I remember seeing this young lad there who I remembered as a boy and had come along as, as a young lad with his brothers. But he was now sort of, he'd grown up a bit, he was now sort of like in his late teens. And, he, and he'd grown up and he, was, he had broad shoulders, thick arms, he was handsome, he was, had one of those sort of magnetic personalities. Not, not, not charismatic, but like the sort of person that people just are drawn to. 
and just sort of dripping in talent. And I looked and thought, wow, that guy is really coming into his own. Uh, and I was with a leader, and I, I said to the leader, I said, uh, oh, how's he doing? And he goes, oh, he's doing great, he's doing great. Uh, I said, oh, who's the girl he's with? He said, oh, that's his girlfriend. She's not safe, though. I said, oh, all right, okay. And uh, I said, all right. And uh, what, what have you guys said to him about that? He said, oh, well, she's really nice, you know. She's really, really nice. She's the nicest girl. They're both. They're just a great couple. We, you know, so we just, we just sort of uh, not, not really said anything. I said, "All right, okay." Uh, so you guys are all okay with it? It's like, well, you know, we don't really. We're not really here to judge people. We're not here to sort of tell people what to do. And you know, they're really, really nice. And I said, like, "Okay." I remember walking away from that, going, "Unless that situation changed, that couple is completely and utterly." just been left out to wash because how on earth are they going to know that the thing that is going to pull them away from God is there unless somebody is actually telling them you see it is impossible you know it doesn't matter how nice a person is if you do not have a relationship with God how on earth are you ever going to walk a path with someone who does have a relationship with God there's always going to be that pull away there's always going to be that that tear away and if as a church we are not prepared or don't feel bold enough or don't realize our authority that we have to put up a standard, not a standard that judges, but a standard that says, this is what God has said. This is God, what God has required. These are the principles on which a good godly life is built. Then we are never, ever going to walk the path that God has walked, uh, called us to. Amen? See, in, in, in the... New Testament, Paul goes to a church in Corinthian and sees uh, there was a man there who was living a completely immoral life in, in, right in the vision of the church. And he went crazy at the church. He said, what on earth are you doing accepting this guy? What are you doing letting this guy carry on like this? Because all you're doing is setting a standard that you are not distinct from the world. You're not showing anything that shows the righteousness of God. All you're doing is bringing it down to a base level because you are scared to offend. You are scared to walk in the authority that God has called you to. And it is scary sometimes to walk in the authority that God has called you to. But there is grace. There is grace in stepping out. There is grace in speaking up. Not in judgment, but in service. But in service. You serve your brother when you correct him. You serve him when you bring them close. That we have been called to be the standard bearer. A person can only judge themselves against the standard and then perceive the deficit. And know that it's Jesus that fills that deficit. Jesus is the one who fills that deficit. Jesus is the one who makes the way. Every single one of us here, every single one of us has, has come to God not with it all together. All with, with some sort of deficit in our lives. But God is the one who's made a way, has filled the gap, has brought us to the other side. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Can I get someone on keys? If we could all just bow our heads for a minute. I'm just going to finish up. I just believe that as a church, we are, we are in a battle. There is a, there is a, a voice of society, there's a voice of culture that, that wants us to be quiet, that, that, that speaks against that which we know is righteousness, that, that, that tries to uh, downplay it, tries to uh, undermine it, take away the authority that Christ has given to the church. We need to know on what we stand we need to know that to make disciples, that we have to raise a standard. We have to bear that standard unapologetically, 
unashamedly, boldly, courageously. And so I'm going to pray for everybody here just before we leave, just that we leave with that sort of sense, that knowledge, that appreciation of the authority that God has called us to. But before I do that, if you are here, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you've been at church for a while now, but you haven't been walking with God. And on the inside, in your heart, you just know right now is the time that you want to receive God into your life. You want to receive that freedom. You want to receive his love, his forgiveness, that he would take away all the things that you might regret having done. If that is you this morning, you just know on the inside that God is speaking to you, that he is drawing you close, that he's just getting beside you, that he wants to open up your eyes to a new reality, a new spiritual reality, a reality where he has placed great gifts upon your life, where he has set you free of all the things that bound you, to launch you into a new life, to walk with him, to walk and to talk with God, to have him as your closest friend an ally, to have a relationship with him. If that is you this morning, just while every single head is bowed and eye is closed, if that is you this morning and you know that you want to receive God this morning, I just ask you to just pop your hand in the air, just for me to see. 